Chapter Five of *The Untempered Wind* by Joanna Wood. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. Oh, the waiting in the watches of the night, in the darkness, desolation, and contrition and affright, the awful hush that holds us shut away from all delight, the ever weary memory that ever weary goes, recounting ever over every aching loss it knows the ever-weary eyelids gasping ever for repose in the dreary weary watches of the night the flower that smiles to-day to-morrow dies all that we wish to stay tempts and then flies what is this world's delight lightning that mocks the night brief even as bright one day shortly after the ragman's call old mr carroll came to have a talk with mr deans he did this often it was not that he had any particular liking for henry deans or his wife but the forced inaction of the former left him unoccupied all day long and mr carroll dearly liked to have his talk out when once he commenced as a prelude to the talk proper they discussed for an hour or so the affairs of the village the crops of their neighbours the scarcity of pasture and the great number of tramps into this part of the conversation mrs deans entered heartily after these matters were canvassed thoroughly the men settled themselves more easily in their chairs and took up the more serious business of the hour now there were only two subjects that mr carroll thoroughly enjoyed talking about politics and war the former he regarded as the root of all evil the latter as the only means of reform mr deans only cared to discuss religion and crops each talked in his own strain about his own hobby without regard to what his companion was saying while one was speaking the other waited absent-eyed for the first pause for breath when he promptly took up his parable where he had left off when forced to pause for breath himself the one never heard what the other said each being too much occupied in thinking what he should say next to bother about listening to any one else they derived much of the same mutual benefit and amusement from these conversations as two dogs do when they race madly up and down opposite sides of a fence barking at each other many learned arguments held in high places are conducted upon these same lines the sunny afternoon wore along mrs deans had yawned several times yawned audibly and significantly but her husband in full cry after the errors of the catholics and the bigotry of the church of england disregarded the danger signal and went on his conversational way rejoicing mr carroll winding his way through the intricacies of the bribery and corruption and scandals of the last election was oblivious of her yawns their meaning and even ungallant as it may seem of her presence gamaliel coming in from his plough to refill his water-jug looked slyly through the door at the trio she's putting her ears back said he to himself with pleasurable anticipation of a row as he looked at his mother he waited a few moments in expectation of a crisis 
but at the instant when his hopes were highest an interruption occurred in the arrival of mrs wilson mr carroll loathed mrs wilson a well-fed-looking but lugubrious woman chronically aggrieved from her own account she had inherited and endured all the ills the flesh is heir to but nevertheless she was plump and comfortable-looking her dark eyes were bright her red lips rosy her nose a pug her lips showed red against the whiteness of her false teeth when the teeth were in her lips pouted when the teeth were out her lips pursed mrs wilson was somewhat perilously given over to vanities and had fringe on her black merino dress and a white muslin rose in her black bonnet she had her knitting with her an index of her intention to stay for tea and an encouragement to mrs deans to insist that she should remain mrs wilson protested she had had no intention of staying and mrs deans insisted that she should stay mrs wilson's protestations continued all the while she was laying off her bonnet and mrs deans persuasive eloquence flowed freely finally with a fine assumption of compulsion mrs wilson ceased protesting and allowed herself knitting in hand to be led back to the dining-room by the time the two ladies emerged mr carroll was hobbling out of the gate and mr deans was enjoying a long deferred chew the two women sat down opposite each other in rocking-chairs mrs wilson produced a black apron which she donned and then felt in her pocket for the goose quill she carried to hold the end of her knitting-needle stuck it in her belt and proceeded to turn the heel of a carpet-warp sock at the same time to give mrs deans a full and particular account of her sufferings from erysipelas mrs deans herself had had some experience with that disease having once seen a woman in st anne's who was bald from its effects mrs wilson's needles clicked mrs deans waxed thread hummed as she vigorously sewed carpet rags a distant thud thud told that myron holder was churning the sun began to sink suddenly mrs wilson dropped her hands and her knitting into her lap and asked with an explosive abruptness only excusable as an indication of the startling character of the question say jane i want to ask you something has myron holder named her young one mrs deans struck one hand into the other well it beats all i never if you'll believe me i don't know i just wondered whether she had or not but i never saw you to ask or if i saw you i forgot and i didn't hear tell of its being named yet now what do you suppose jane speaking confidential between ourselves and knowing it'll go no further if you was asked now what would you say she'd call it if twas put to you well marian replied mrs deans with the air of a baffled astrologer since you ask me plain i'll tell you one thing i can see as far through a ladder as most people and if i go falling it ain't through going about with my eyes shut but all i know about it is one thing and that ain't two whatever myron holder calls the young one she won't call it jed for that mrs holder won't allow at no rate for no favour 
not that myron said anything about it that ain't her way she's close terrible close is myron and deep beyond belief but old mrs holder says and what she says she'll stick to being stubborn and fixed in her notions she says no naming of such brats after my son no not if myron asks on bended knee mrs holder won't give in but say jane hazarded mrs wilson as one who advances an improbable and wild suggestion supposing myron holder don't ask but just does it do you suppose she'd dare tain't hardly likely returned mrs deans looking judicial that would be pretty serious even for myron holder but i don't know she's bad clean through that's easy enough seen why she makes the greatest time over that young one you ever seen why mrs warner told me that the other sunday when she went to holder's well for a pail of water that the house being very quiet she went and looked in the windows knowing old mrs holder was out to disney's for milk she couldn't see nothing in the front room nor the kitchen but in the bedroom there she seen myron holder with the boy the boy was asleep and she was kneeling by the bed talking away to the sleeping child as good as praying to it mrs warner said i've no patience with such goings-on as them said mrs wilson clicking her needles agitatedly i should think she'd be ashamed to act up like that considering all that's come and gone well you'd think so agreed mrs deans winding up her ball of rags but there marian there's no use talking her kind don't care for nothing well it's to be hoped she don't throw no slurs on any decent fellow like your male or my homer said mrs wilson with dismal foreboding in her voice it would be just like her to pick on some fine name but i warn her of one thing slurs is something i can't abide and won't put up with nor me marian nor me said mrs deans her spirit rising in anticipation of the imaginary fray let myron holder call her brat gamaliel and i'll let her know for once in her life that respectable people has their rights just only let her once and that's all if i don't show her pretty prompt what's what blame me well twould be a most terrible slur on any fellow that's all i can say returned mrs wilson after tea homer wilson called for his mother and drove her away her white muslin rose nodding above the black barege veil she tied across her forehead to ward off neuralgia her hands clasping lovingly a bottle of liniment distilled from dried smartweed which mrs deans had bestowed upon her mrs deans watched their departure from the veranda presently she voiced her reflections aloud marian don't crack up homer as much as she used to do guess that shoe pinches a bit well served her right nobody but a fool gives away his clothes before he's done with them they shouldn't have been so smart giving homer the deed no i don't hold with doing that don't catch me doing any such business not i said mr dean's voice from the kitchen mrs deans jerked her shoulders impatiently and took herself and her meditations out of her husband's hearing 
she was gone some little time having walked down to the pasture to look at the lambs as she entered the cookhouse she murmured to herself i can't make my mind up to it somehow but she was anxious was marian terrible anxious about the name homer wilson homer wilson and his mother drove homeward they passed myron holder entering the gate of her home she had taken off her sunbonnet and held it by the strings as she fastened the gate her hair loosened and roughened was massed about her head in such a way as to form a soft shadowy background from which the pale oval of her face shone forth almost startlingly guess mrs deans is taking her money's worth out of myron holder said homer after they passed she looks mighty tired out oh goodness homer said his mother don't take up with that girl tired out serve her right if she is it's pure charity jane deans having her and as for stubbornness and badness jane says she can't be beat i guess her old grandmother has a tough time of it old folks has a poor chance when young ones get the whip hand give give and when you've given all you've got you're no more good well time's short here anyway and a good thing it is no pleasure after one gets old only burdens on other people here mrs wilson sniffed loudly and ostentatiously wiped away an imaginary tear homer's face burned in the dusk his heart rose hot against the reflection his mother's speech was meant to cast upon him but he made no answer he was used to such things they drove on without further speech the loose links in the horse's traces jingled their hoof-beats sounded soft on the sandy road they drew near the house before mrs wilson spoke again then she said briskly homer don't go speaking to myron holder if you meet her she's a dangerous girl she looks it said homer with a touch of sarcasm i don't think i'll be hurt by passing a good day with her though that's right i might have known as much get mixed up with her next as if i hadn't had enough trouble whined his mother homer was getting exasperated the knowledge that he had that very morning passed myron holder in absent-minded silence added to the irritation of his mood his mother's persistent misconstruction of his motives and actions was at times almost unbearable he answered out of pure perversity she's the best-looking girl in the village by long odds and as for not speaking to her i fancy the women do plenty of passing by on the other side business without the men helping them you won't find many men i reckon unwilling to speak to myron holder a strange conviction of the absolute truth of what he was saying smote across his mind and suddenly myron holder's pale face seemed to show out of the gloom before him as he had seen it a little while before against the dark background of her hair his mother almost groaned aloud a dreadful thought flittered momentarily through her mind but homer was already pulling up the horses he helped her out carefully and she entered the house absorbed in peevish self-pity old mr wilson was ready to receive her and eager to hear the news 
when homer finished attending to his horses and came into the house he found they had already retired he heard the murmur of his mother's voice broken only by a sharp exclamation or a short interrogation from his father he blew out the lamp and sat down at the open window laying his head on his hands the frogs in the pond were uttering their weird and dismal note no other sound has a more melancholy echo a more desolate tone an earthy breath of wind was wafted from across the newly ploughed land near the house in the sunshine the aroma from fresh furrows is sweeter than the breath of sweet grass at night it brings the odour of the charnel the wind died down it was very still and dark the dew fell presently homer wilson rose and still in the dark found his way softly upstairs his thick brown hair was laden with the night damps but even the first heavy dews of spring do not leave long glistening smarting furrows on the cheeks do not fall in slow-wrung scalding drops upon clinched hands do not linger in salt traces about the lips they touch when homer wilson avowed conversion in the little methodist church his mother confided to mrs deans that she was exceedingly glad thereat i can let him go to the city with an easier mind now that i know he's got religion she said homer had gone to the anxious seat the night before during the revival meeting had been prayed over and sung over and had avowed in a few jerky hesitating sentences that he felt better happier there is a load off my mind i but his testimony had been interrupted at this point greatly to his own relief and his mother's wrath by enthusiastic sister warner beginning to sing in a high shrill treble once i was blind but now i can see the light of the world is jesus homer retired from the meeting feeling a little dazed he knew he had done what was expected of him and believed it was the right thing to do but was a bit confused as to the impulse which had prompted him to take the step the next morning he started for the commercial college where he was about to take a course he was alert to the possibilities of life and was clear-headed enough to see that without education his chances were nil he had gone winter after winter to the village school and had a wide reputation among the villagers as a mathematician it's pretty hard to fool homer wilson on figures was the general verdict he was too progressive to dream of spending his life in that little hamlet so he saved all his earnings and at last had enough to cover the low expenses of a two-year course at the business college an institution which among its numerous advantages promised to secure good situations for such of the students as shall obtain our diploma when homer wilson started from the village he was a good specimen of the country hercules tall sinewy resolute with unflinching will and bulldog courage his conversion if it had not sprung from his inmost soul or stirred the deepest depths of his heart had at least awakened and strengthened his better resolutions 
his mind was eager to receive the knowledge that he knew meant power his hopes were high his heart and temper generous he met her shortly after he commenced his course her brother was attending the college and took homer to his home one night homer thought her perfection for his standard of comparison was not high she had fluffy yellow hair and pretty eyes and pretty ways and pretty speeches galore she was winning and cordial and he thought her absurd questions about country ways and country doings very entertaining she was bright and quick and quite charmed this keen young man who for all his shrewdness proved an easy prey to these trivial acts which girls of her caste exercise so unsparingly he confided to her all his ambitions and she listened eagerly perhaps he gave her a rather too glowing account of the farm at home the peaches and grapes were perhaps hardly so plentiful and certainly were not so easily obtained the harvests were perhaps not quite so golden the garden perhaps not so lovely as he depicted it nor his father so admirable nor his mother so benevolently kind to everybody but he had left home for the first time and after all despite his ambitions his heart was yet in the country with the fields the sun the birds and the trees under these circumstances a man is prone to forget the tedious process of planting and nursing and cultivating the peach trees until they are fit for fruiting to overlook the ploughing and sowing and harrowing and the long days of toil before the fields whiten to the harvest and to think and speak of both fruit and grain as springing with all the beauty of spontaneity from the gracious mother earth and his listener if she be a selfish shallow creature unthinking and unheeding is prone to think only of results and not at all of the toil they represent so life slipped along with homer wilson studying and loving and writing home then came a summer day when he took her for a day's trip to his home in jamestown his mother had outdone herself preparing country dainties it was the time of strawberries and there were strawberries and cream and strawberry shortcake and crullers and pies and boiled ham and the sun was shining and she fluttered about genuinely pleased with many things and affecting to be delighted by everything old mr wilson had been at his best mrs wilson was urbane in a new dress and homer strode about showing her the farm erect and happily excited it was the halcyon day of his life in the evening there was the trip back to the city homer taking care of the basket of strawberries his mother had bestowed upon her that night she promised to marry him he wrote to his people and his mother returned a somewhat unintentionally lugubrious epistle conveying their good wishes and consent weeks and months sped and homer had never been home since that day 
his old people did not take that amiss for travelling as they knew cost money but there came a day when his course was completed the coveted diploma bestowed upon him and a situation secured for him as bookkeeper in a lumber-yard at thirty-five dollars a month he made up his mind to go home for a day or two before starting work he reached the village elate fortune seemed within his grasp his father was surly and harassed looking his mother's face looked older and with genuine lines of trouble about the lips far more significant than the peevish wrinkles of self-pity that creased her brow he soon learned the cause of these things the mortgage which had always seemed as much a matter of course to him as the taxes or the road-work was about to be foreclosed the man who had lent them the money would not renew it he hinted that he feared for his interest as it seemed there was no young man to take hold of the place and in the event of the property deteriorating he feared for his principal the old people before this dilemma seemed numbed they could think of no expedient and were apparently incapable of deciding what course to pursue homer listened to it all in sick wonder that he had not been told rejoicing inwardly that he had cost them nothing at least for two years back though he also realized with bitterness that he had helped them none he went to his old room that night to fight a hard battle with himself and to conquer to give up his ambitions which humble as they seem were yet great to him to relinquish the joy of seeing her daily to return to the old hopeless struggle of striving to make ends meet to bend his energies to the circumscribed field of making the most of the few acres of the old farm to come back and be called a failure by his friends to have to wait a long long time before he could call her wife but while that last idea held the bitterest thought of all in it also lay the kernel of the hope which was to keep his heart alive he felt he had a sure and certain hope of a happy future no matter how long deferred and he remembered with a pang of pity that his father and mother had only a past his brothers and sisters were all married long since and each had struggle enough to keep the wolf from the door no help from any one but himself could relieve his old people the dawn found him resolved he told his father and mother at the breakfast-table they were both delighted but did not know very well how to express it to a stranger's mind there might have been some doubt as to whether they appreciated the sacrifice or not they did not in full no one save perhaps a woman who loved him could have known the magnitude of his renunciation his father and he went that day to see the old man who held the mortgage he was a shrewd old miser and was fain to secure himself in every way against anxiety and loss he insisted that the new mortgage should be made out in homer's name he wanted this open-browed strong resolute young man for his debtor and not 
the vacillating old man who looked as if no responsibility would trouble him long so the farm was transferred to homer's name and the mortgage also homer resumed his old life unfalteringly he wrote and told her all about his change of plans and she replied to his letters regularly her letters were not very satisfying women of her fibre are not usually very fascinating on paper so homer felt trebly the sacrifice he was making for he attributed none of his sense of loss to the lack of real feeling in her letters on the contrary he thought those letters with their stilted beginning and spidery writing the sweetest of all epistles and thought to himself how altogether lovely she was when even such letters as these left him unsatisfied and with heart hunger unappeased homer was not one to put his hand to the plough and then draw back he threw into his work all the energy of his resolute will and backed it up by the severest physical toil he was capable of it was uphill and disheartening work but he toiled on he had disappointments enough and to spare but he wrote them all down to her and forgot them when he read that she was so sorry he had progressive ideas which sometimes worried him sorely for it was trying to see others availing themselves of modern appliances for cultivating etc while homer felt bound to struggle on with the old implements his father possessed which called for double the expenditure of labor and time and even then did not yield satisfactory results in the spring too it took the heart out of him to walk the rows of his peach orchard and find a third of the trees killed girdled by the teeth of the field mice homer's heart almost failed him when he discovered this last mishap for he was oppressed by the knowledge that he could have prevented it it was true that he could not afford the expensive shields of metal for his trees that some of his neighbors had but if immediately after that heavy snowstorm of last winter he had gone out and tramped the snow tightly round each tree then they would not have been girdled for the snow if left undisturbed never clings close to a peach tree there is always a space between and the mice creep round and round the tree in this space gnawing it to the height of the snow the peach trees next the fence where the snow had drifted were girdled completely up to a height of three or four feet homer had visited her in the winter the week after the heavy snowstorm had been spent with her his mother reminded him of this and he flung out of the house angrily he was fairly sick over the loss of his trees and to have anything cold said about her was too much he wrote her all about it perhaps in his desperate longing for sympathy loving sympathy and comprehension he depicted the disaster as even more serious than it really was he waited for her letter eagerly it came her frivolous mercenary soul had taken fright 
she sheltered herself behind the old excuse for disloyalty worn threadbare by women of all stations she wrote that she felt she did not love him as she should if she was to be his wife he had sent the little home-boy to the post-office for the letter he brought it to the field where homer was planting out tomato plants homer wilson read his letter twice or thrice put it carefully in its envelope and then safely in his pocket he went on with his task slowly slowly though with none of the tremulous haste with which he had been exhausting himself for months he packed the roots with soil it was some relief the hard resistant pressure of the earth there was something left to battle against if nothing left to fight for so he continued his row feeling a fierce wrath if one of the shaky little plants would not stand straight and hushing the homeboy's chatter with a terrible pale look he completed his task and went about his other work in an atmosphere of enforced calm that was torture by some chance none of his tasks that day called for any output of physical strength it was a day of small things trivial tasks which maddened him by their helpless need for patience not strength but the weariest hours pass and night fell over the village as a veil then he wrote to her a few straightforward manly lines setting her free telling her she had acted rightly if she did not love him then he lay down for another night of poignant thought he recalled her visit to the farm and remembered how impatient he had felt when his mother maundered on about sending back the basket the strawberries went in he had felt a little ashamed of his mother's thrift just then when the morning came homer was ready for work but there had been a distinct decadence in him during the night that was past he had no longer anything to live for but money he rose to search for this only good with eager greedy eyes for this poor countryman had come of a long race of penurious grasping men and women and that mercenary craving for money and land had been latent in his nature since his birth when he went to the business college it stirred within him vaguely and might then have developed but better ambitions ousted it but these aspirations were gone and in their place flourished grown to its full height in a single night the upas tree of greed he told his people next day his mother promptly said i knowed how it would be a big feeling handless creature idle and good for nothing with her errified ways and her notions i told you so all along homer etc etc but homer ere even the second word was spoken was out of the house and striding along with black brows to his tomatoes the row he had planted the day before looked limp by night they were yellow withered dead in replanting them he found each stalk broken clean off below the earth he had indulged his strength too much in packing the earth about them 
day by day the change in him went on gradually almost imperceptibly but startlingly apparent had any one contrasted the homer of the present with the man of the past it was very pitiful worst of all he was conscious himself of the change but could not analyze it so could do nothing to arrest the atrophy of his soul he began to prosper by fits and starts later more steadily he had a balance at the end of the summers now and invested it in better stock new implements and fine varieties of fruit he hid his aching heart under an offensively blustering manner and was so morbidly afraid of any one knowing his secret that he was too carelessly gay too full of pointless jests often after a gathering of the village young people he strolled home under the stars dazed and wondering his throat harsh with much speech his head aching with tuneless laughter was he really the man who had shattered on so a few minutes since he asked himself and the other young people said among themselves homer wilson does like to show off so it was an anguish to him when he saw now and then a young man leave the village win what he considered success and come back smiling content and well dressed for a brief holiday then back to the world outside again his temper became irascible when his horses were refractory he was unmerciful but after any outbreak against a dumb animal his stifled manhood rose against this last worst outrage against it but the horses did not recall the extra feeding and light work as they did the blow and they shrank and shivered and started nervously when he approached he noted this and it cut him to the heart or stung him into dull wrath against them as his mood was the farm did better and better and well it might all the honest and generous part of a man's nature was being sunk in it he began to pay the principal of the loan in installments at last he had the farm clear his brothers and sisters murmured against him homer had stolen their birthright they whispered he had got hold of the farm just when the hard times were past he had wheedled the old people into giving it all to him they said and they each and every one had worked as hard as he had and besides he had all his own way while they had had to work under the old man's orders so the boys came home with their families and paid long visits and impressed upon the old man how homer had bested him and the girls returned with their children and condoled with their mother they departed leaving the old man morose irritable and repining the old woman in tearful self-pity and homer saw it all and smiled grimly but said no word so the old people saw grudgingly his hard-won success although they shared it fully and spoke of their other children always with the prefix poor as if contrasting homer's prosperous and happy lot with theirs 
he had after all a grim sense of humour and this jacob-like light in which his family viewed him filled him with sneering mirth verily they were a miserable tribe of esaus but the mirth died out at last leaving a residuum of rage against his kin who so persistently misjudged him and one bitter night he lay and cursed the resolution which had brought him back to rescue his old people from the slough of despond with the acknowledgment of this regret the disintegration of his soul would seem to be complete End of chapter 5